Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I think if, if, if we had if we had our choice we would we would hear from God sort of like in an email form you know like God would text us or call us or send us an email or something uh, make it very clear very plain and so what I love about this passage Matthew 11 uh, God sort of does that he, he gives a direct message to a guy by the name of John the Baptist um, and um, however uh, as is so often the case with Jesus um, it's not any uh, easier sometimes to obey him when you hear clearly versus not clearly. So uh, sometimes I think it doesn't really matter the form or the method that God gets the message to you through, whether it is text message or email or a dream we talked about last week. that uh, We can have dreams in the night or visions, and God can speak to us through those. But whenever he speak to, speaks to us, he's always going to speak to our heart. He's always going to speak to the center of our being, and uh, he's always going to challenge us, and so the same is true with John, and so let's read this passage here. This is a short little story, uh, but it's really powerful. It says, and when John heard in prison about the works of Christ, uh, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, he said, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. This is a direct message from Jesus. This is what I want you to tell John. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Just, just, just pointing out, to me it's interesting the order in which Jesus kind of lays these things out. Um, each one is building on another, right? He's, he's, he's sharing... Uh, the highlights of his ministry up until this point, uh, but they are in in certain uh, levels of succession. Uh, the first one being the blind are able to see, and then he gets a little greater. The lame can walk. A little greater, the lepers are cleansed. That was an incurable disease of those days. Um, the deaf hear. The dead are raised. That's pretty awesome. But for Jesus, I find it interesting that at the apex of his resume, he says the poor have the gospel preached to them. And maybe it's just encouraging for me because I'm a pastor in South Austin, but uh, uh, we haven't had a lot of dead people raised to life yet. I mean, physical dead people. Um, but we have had a lot of the poor having the gospel preached to them. And it's just interesting, Jesus' perspective, that as he lays out his resume, the, the, the top of, of the list is when the poor have the gospel. I think Jesus gets more excited about poor people hearing the gospel than he does about dead people being raised back to life. Now, we get excited about dead people be, being raised back to life. I mean, that would be, you know, killer. Like, you know, we'd be running the aisles and all kinds of stuff. You know, that'd be like, we'd be, we'd, that, that tambourine, wherever Dallas, like, he wouldn't put that thing down. You know, he'd just be rocking that. Because when the, like, a dead person raised back to life, a whole, oh, wow, this is amazing. What is God doing? Um, but, man, the poor, Jesus thinks that when the poor have the gospel preached to them, that this is significant, that this is awesome, that this is powerful, which gives great, uh, um, uh, motivation to me for our ministries at City Chapel. So we, we keep kids fed because Jesus thinks it's powerful when the poor have the gospel preached to them. 
Uh, we're feeding, you all are feeding, what, 33 kids over the summer um, every day. So several of you have adopted families. Some more of you have been bringing food to the back. And still some of you are writing checks um, to feed right around 33 kids every single day throughout the summer. And I think that's awesome because Jesus thinks it's awesome when the poor have the gospel preached to them. But then he adds on this extra sentence and says, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So I want to talk to you today about, uh, let's see, how to forgive God. <laughs> um, people say, what? What do you mean God did something wrong? Well, I'm not necessarily saying he did something wrong, but forgiveness means that you perceive that he has done something wrong. Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 6, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. If we go back to the early portion of this passage in verse 2, Matthew is, is giving us the context of the story, and he starts off with, he says, And when John had heard um, in prison about the works of Christ. It's interesting because the writer wants you to know, now if you had been following the gospel, you would know that John was already in prison. Um, but just in case you, just in case you forgot or just in case you just now tuned in, you need to understand the context, the place where John is when he hears the things, the wonderful things that Jesus is doing. Because where you are will often determine how you are able to process what you hear. So the first week of this sermon series, we talked about how what you have determines what you hear. Uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, uh, also where you are in life, where you are, will, will affect how you are able to process what you hear. John, John is hearing the works of God, but he's hearing it from prison. And, and sometimes when you're in prison, good news isn't that good. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if your marriage is a little rough and then you hear somebody else tell you how wonderful their marriage is, maybe none of you have ever been in that situation before, but um, sometimes you kind of want to be like, well, how about you just shut up about you and your wonderful marriage because nobody really cares, you know? It's sometimes where you are affects how you process what you hear. You would typically be happy for somebody when you're happy, but when you're in prison, when John's in prison, when he's in jail, suddenly the wonderful news of what Jesus is doing for everybody else <laughs> affects him a little different than it did before. You see, John, like, John the Baptist, John and Jesus are like this. John and Jesus go way back. I mean, way back. Like, like when Jesus was in his mother's stomach and John was in his mother's stomach. By the way, they were, they were related and pregnant at the same time. Um, and, when, and when John heard the voice of Mary, Jesus' mother, John jumped inside of his mom's stomach. John, that makes John officially the first human on earth to recognize who Jesus was. Like even before Jesus' mom realized what she had in her stomach, John realized what was inside of her stomach as a, a fetus. I mean, he's not even, he hadn't even started sucking oxygen yet. And he's already connected with Jesus. And that connection carried on. That connection, by the way, John realized early on that his role in life was to prepare the way for Jesus. 
That's his job description. That's what God had called him and raised him up to do. And so what did John do, man? He devoted himself to it. He gave himself completely to it. He moved out into the wilderness. He only ate locusts and honey. He dressed like a crazy man because he was not interested in fashion. He wasn't interested in drawing attention to himself. He was there to prepare the way for the Lord. He was, he was, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of levels of meaning here, but he was the Elijah that was to come. He was the one that would, that, would, that would prepare the way for Jesus. He was so deeply devoted and deeply connected to Jesus. I was thinking about that this week. It's, it's, it's amazing, of course, anytime like you and I have faith in God. I think God loves that. He, he honors that. He, he celebrates that. But what is really amazing to me is when God has faith in us. You know what I mean? Like when God believes in us, that's because hmm. I know me. Um, and and it's, it's nice to have faith in a God who's perfect and all-knowing and omnipotent, omniscient, immutable, um, those kinds of things. But when God has faith in man, when God, like you, you think about the faith that God had in John. John was, when, when God sent his son, he needed somebody to prepare the way and he chose, hand-picked John. If you, if, if you want to know just... Uh, 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 spiritually speaking, how significant John's ministry was to that of Jesus, you really don't need to look any further back than the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. There's a, there's a passage in scripture that says, and this is something that I didn't preach in the 930, but I just, I just feel like sharing with you all. There's a passage in scripture that says, mercy triumphs over judgment. You ever, you ever heard that? I think, I think Hillsong turned into a song or something, uh, Bethel, somebody. Uh, mercy triumphs over justice or judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, and and, and that, that's, that's a lovely, it's, it's not even a whole verse. It's half of a verse. It's a lovely sentence. Um, however, just like with any sentence out of the Bible, if you make a whole theology out of one sentence, you're going to end up drinking a lot of Kool-Aid. Um, it's not going to be good, you know. Um, but, 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 but at any rate, that statement, mercy triumphs over judgment, is so interesting to me because the word triumph means to celebrate. Uh, oftentimes when we hear the statement, mercy triumphs over judgment, we think that mercy is, he's like Rocky Balboa, you know, standing over the fallen body of Creed, you know, uh, Apollo Creed, if, if, if you don't know, the 90s, Rocky, it was an awesome time, you need to check it out, uh, but, but this is the way that we see mercy, like he just took out justice or judgment, you know, uh, as, it, but th this doesn't even make sense because God is just and merciful and God's not fighting with himself. And so mercy doesn't conquer or defeat justice or judgment. Mercy celebrates and rejoices over justice. Mercy looks at justice and says, come on, bro, let's get going. Yeah, like mercy and justice are best friends. And, and only in our generation would we think that they're, they're opposed to each other. But anyway, it's just part of the weirdness of being in the, the 21st century. But, but in scripture, mercy celebrates over, but it is over. It is over. It is in a position of being over justice. And this is played out in several um, scenarios in the Bible, one of which is, is a guy by the name of Elijah. You might have heard in the Old Testament about, about Elijah. He was the judgment prophet, right? He, 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 he all, almost all of his miracles were like judgment stuff. He's like, it's not going to rain for three years and crops are going to die. And then he goes up on Mount Carmel and he kills like 400 false prophets with the sword by him, like just him. He hacks them. It's, 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 I mean, he's a, he's a beast. He, some guys, some kids are making fun of him one time for being bald. And he called on like these bears to come out of the woods and take them out. He is known as the judgment justice 
prophet. But he raised up a guy, his mentor, his protege, was named Elisha. Sounds kind of like Elijah, but it's quite different. Elisha is known as more of the merciful prophet. So many of his, his acts of miracles were like raising kids from the dead, healing people, filling up jars of oil, that kind of stuff. And so that's why within this passage, actually a little bit later on, Jesus says about John, he says, if you can, if you can understand this, John is the Elijah. In other words, I'm Elisha, and John is Elijah. And, 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 and you can't have Elisha without Elijah. You can't have mercy without judgment. That's called lawlessness. <laughs> it's craziness. You cannot have mercy without justice. You, cannot have, you can't have the two. And in fact, they come in a particular order. God always brings justice into your life before he brings mercy. He always brings conviction before he brings repentance. He always brings, he always brings conviction before forgiveness. And so th that's the pattern. That's the way God sets things up. So there's always an Elijah before there's an Elisha. There's always a John before there's a Jesus. And these two, John and Jesus, are not enemies. They are best friends. And John and Jesus, man, they have been walking hand in hand. And boy, I'll tell you what, Jesus later on, I mean, we, we could keep reading Matthew 11, but Jesus goes on to talk about John um, behind his back. And he says, John is the greatest man that was ever born. So, I mean, talk about like, like an accolade. I mean, we don't need to argue about LeBron and Michael anymore. Uh, it is John. He is the goat. Um, the greatest of all time, if you don't know the man. You know, he, I mean, that's him. Jesus, Jesus said, man, of all the prophets, John is the greatest. In fact, he's the greatest man that was ever born of women. And last I checked, that's everybody. So uh, Jesus, like, has immense respect for John. Jesus has an incredible relationship. God revealed so much to John. I mean, you think about nobody in the, the Gospels knew more about Jesus than John did. Jesus was the first one, or John was the first one to see Jesus and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You think about that statement. Even his disciples didn't, under, didn't make the correlation between the Levitical process of sacrifices and the role of the Messiah. Your, 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 your wisest sage at that time hadn't yet put that together. And yet when John saw Jesus, he said, he is God's lamb. He's the lamb that's going to be crucified and killed for the sins of the world. Even Jesus' own disciples hadn't figured that out. I mean, John had some serious revelation and he wasn't worried. John seems to be the most chill dude in, in all of the gospels because he's the one guy who knows what's going on. Like he said, I have come to raise up the valleys and to take out the mountains to make paths, to make the path straight for the coming of the Lord, for the Messiah. And then it was John who baptized Jesus. Jesus came, Jesus came to one of John's church meetings and said, I need to be baptized. And John's like, oh, no, 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 you don't need to be. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, 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 you need to baptize me. And so John is like, you know, in the name of the Father, you and the Holy Spirit, we, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, can you imagine, like, 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 we're going to get to heaven, <laughs> we're going to get to heaven, and on the throne of heaven is a guy who is baptized by this guy right over here. Who is that guy? Let's talk to him. John, what are you, like, I mean, the honor that God gave John, the position that God gave, the knowledge God gave John, See, Jesus' ministry started to take off. His, his, uh, his, his new bestseller, Repent for the Kingdom, is, is at hand, was um, just flying off all the rabbinical bookshelves. 
And, uh, and, and, and John's disciples were concerned. And they said, hey, everybody's going to hit Jesus' church. And they're leaving our church. And John said, no, no, this is what's supposed to happen. See, God's already clued me into this. God's already told me what's going to happen. He's going to, Jesus is going to increase. I'm going to decrease. What kind of revelation? I mean, how do you know the course of your ministry? How do you, I don't know. How did God download all of this stuff to John? It's amazing that you could have such intimacy with God. It's amazing that you could have such closeness with the Holy Spirit, such awareness of the plan of God in your life. And yet, God must have left out that one little detail about winding up in a Roman dungeon. And two chapters later, he's going to be beheaded. And it's amazing how where you are can affect how you process what you hear. John, who all along the way, everything he heard about Jesus confirmed that he's the Messiah, he's the Messiah, he's the Messiah. But now John's hearing about Jesus doing all these wonderful things, and John's kind of thinking, I don't know if he's the Messiah. Really, the question is, would the Messiah leave me here? Because it's not like Jesus is doing anything different. He's, he's healing the sick, he's cleansing the lepers, he's, he's, he's opening blind eyes. You know, th th that's why that passage always astounded me because I would read it and Jesus is talking about all these great things and then Jesus is like, oh, blessed is he who's not offended at me. And I was always like, who's going to be offended at you for, for opening blind eyes, for healing the sick, for, I mean, who, who is going to find that except the evil Pharisees? Boo! Because, you know, obviously they're just, they, they hate life, you know, and so, but, but other than the Pharisees, you know, boo. Uh, it's kids' church. Every time you say Pharisee, people say boo. It, it, other than the Pharisees, I mean, what, what, what sane human is going to be offended at Jesus for doing all this wonderful stuff? And then <laughs> I realized, well, except maybe the guy who is in prison. You see, Jesus, in, at, at some way, he is, he's quoting um, Isaiah 61. And I have, I have the first slide of that. Isaiah 61 says, the Spirit of God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to the brokenhearted. Now stop right there. He's, he's quoting that, which he already quoted it in one other part in his ministry. But he conveniently leaves out the next part of the verse. It's still the same verse. If we go on to the next part of the verse, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. John's like, couldn't you include that part? Because I'm in prison. And Jesus conveniently says, you yeah, know, we're not, we're not doing the prison thing right now. <laughs> it's amazing. Jesus quits prison ministry as soon as John gets in. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I just find the humor in that, that Jesus quotes a passage that he knows ends with getting people out of jail <laughs> and he doesn't finish it. He's like, yeah, we're not going to do that because he doesn't. Jesus never gets John out of jail. Jesus could have. Jesus could have went to Herod. Herod wanted to meet Jesus. Jesus could have arranged a meeting and said, hey, uh, I'll meet with you if you let my buddy out of jail. Jesus just could have walked up to the prison and used the force, you know, and like, you know, just did mind tricks on people. I mean, you know, like, just kidding. It's not a real thing. But I mean, Jesus could have done like whatever. He could have got him out. He's raising dead people for crying out loud. What about his friends? who set him up? What about the guy who paved the way for him? What about the guy that he built his ministry on his back? 
see, it's, it's, uh, I think what John's dealing with here is what we've all dealt with. It's a little something called disappointment. And I know we wouldn't like to say that we've been disappointed with God, but I think many of us have been disappointed with God. In fact, that's what I hear from a lot of atheists here in Austin. They're incredibly disappointed with God. And Joel Osteen, for some reason. Joel. You know, he's got a big jet. Obviously, God doesn't exist. It's, it's kind of weird, you know, but, 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 but it's the same thing. It's the thing of, uh, there's, there's, God's got this problem. I don't like this about your supposed God. There's this thing I don't like about him. Thus, he doesn't exist. Thus, he doesn't, he, obviously, he just isn't real because there's this thing that I don't like about him. And actually, that's what the word offend means. When Jesus says, blessed is he who's not offended because of me, the definition of that word is to find something wrong with your authority and then lose trust in your authority because of what you found wrong in him. And so, you know, I mean, you, you, you live in Austin, you talk to uh, friends all the time, and many of them are just, just, they're just disappointed in God, in the whole thing. Because they grew up in a church that was mean or whatever, and they read about the Spanish Inquisition, and Joel was kind of, you know, whatever. And, uh, and, 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 and that's a problem. It's, it's disappointment. It's disappointing. It's like, it's, like, it's, it's like when you go to a candy machine, right? And you, put, and you put all the quarters in and you punch in the number and the thing starts turning, but it only turns halfway. And the Reese's peanut butter cup is stuck right there, right? I think it was a poll like in, back in 2006. That was, that, was, that was listed as the most annoying thing in, a, in, 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 a, in an American's life. Like that was the most frustrating thing because it's frustrating when you put stuff in and you don't get out what you thought you were going to get out. Oh, now I'm talking not just to atheists. I'm talking to Christians. Sometimes we put a lot of stuff in and God doesn't give us back what we thought. The, 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 the level of disappointment is true. I mean, of course, agnostics and atheists, but, but with, I don't think you are able to walk with God for very long without being given the opportunity to be disappointed in him. Primarily because you and I are so different from God. But, but, but how we deal with that disappointment, that's important. And we have to deal with the disappointment. You have to deal with the disappointment. The, this passage first came to life for me back years ago. I was working with Tommy. Um, I was Tommy's personal assistant. And I, I've talked about that a couple of times. I was a 24-7 slave. Basically, that was my job. And the learning curve was, it's, it's really a learning cliff. And I was about mid-climb. Uh, it took me nine months to get my first compliment. Tommy told me I did a good job one time in nine months. And I said, man, can, you, can we record that just for posterity's sake? Because I don't know when the next one's going to happen. And, um, it was just difficult. It was, it was so, because it was my job to make sure Tommy's world like fit with Tommy. And um, uh, so private planes. And, and, I, and I never wanted uh, to be on a concierge level. I never wanted to be in a private plane. I never wanted to be at TBN, especially not in the back office of TBN where all the drama goes down. I never wanted all of that. Like I never asked for, I never even, I, I, didn't, I didn't even have a tremendous amount of respect for some of those circles because I was like, well, I'm too spiritual for all that. And, and it was just, you know, it was like I, I was thrown into this position and it's like, well, why did I take the position? Because, because two weeks before Tommy offered me the job, God spoke to me and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer you a job that you don't want to take and you need to take it. And I said, okay, well, need, these three things need to happen. Number one, the salary, salary needs to be exactly this amount. Number two, 
within 24 hours, somebody needs to come and tell me to take a job that I don't know. And both of those things, and the third thing happened too, it's more personal, but the th- the, both of those things happen within 24 hours of Tommy offering me the job. And so I said, well, <laughs> I guess I'm signing up to be Tommy's personal assistant. And um, it was difficult and it was hard and it was completely anti-me. I spent four years getting a Bible college degree so I could preach and study the Bible, not carry somebody's Bible, right? And not organize events. I don't care about selling books. I don't care about being in this city next week. And some people are fascinated by, oh, I want to travel the world. I don't. The world's got nasty food out there. You don't know what you're going to get. It's not, it's not like here where there's, you go to Dairy Queen. You know exactly what you're going to. No, you don't know. And they think our food's nasty because it's got a bunch of sugar in it. I think that's good. But I mean, you, you know, I, I had monkey soup in Nigeria. This little, this little monkey hand was floating in my soup. Like that's the kind of stuff I'm dealing with on a daily basis. And so I, and meanwhile, it's, it's, it's brutal. It's difficult. And, it's, and I never felt like a failure before until I started working for Tommy because I'd always been so good at everything I ever tried. But suddenly... I wasn't so good anymore. I was threatened to be fired three different times. <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's difficult. And I'm sitting there going through the motions, serving God, being obedient, because darn it, I am obedient. If nothing else, I'm obedient. I'll do it. And uh, I'm persistent. And then right about a year after I started with Tommy, Katrina hit New Orleans and um, just devastated New Orleans. We were, our ministry was located based in Alexandria, Louisiana. And so we've changed our focus from the world to New Orleans. And we began driving down, flying down uh, multiple times a week, ministering to pastors, helping set up uh, relief centers. We set up a huge relief center in a Walmart parking lot in St. Bernard's Parish. And um, which by the way, is something that has really stuck with me. The way that the church got together and made a difference. Uh, I was there in a lot of those meetings where the government was sending money, but because it was so corrupt, it wasn't getting to where it needed to go. I was there when the red tape stopped people from getting the help that they needed. And I was there when churches came together and said, we know where our people are, not because I got a Google address, but because I've actually been to their house. I can take you to their house because that's what we needed because addresses were meant nothing because homes, brick homes were literally lifted up off of their slabs and moved 100 feet down the road. And, you, and cars were in trees. And I mean, it was a bizarre, no electricity, no internet. It was a bizarre scenario. And we were there three days after uh, the levees broke and we were, we were working with pastors. We were working with uh, uh, congregations and we were helping funnel in um, Samaritan's Purse and um, I don't know, Bishop Jakes and, and Benny Hinn and, and the Crouches and all those kind of people. We were raising money for these folks. In fact, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, U2, the, the guy from U2, Bono. Bono and Sledge showed up to, to run sound for one of our churches one morning. It was awesome. And the poor pastor didn't even know who he was. You know, he's like, Bono, Bono, Bruno. Uh, some guy from some band came and fixed my soundboard. And we're like, don't touch it. <laughs> It has been EQ'd by the master. Just leave it. Sell it for a million dollars. Get the guy to sign it, you know? But he didn't, he, he actually asked him to lead worship. He asked Bono to lead worship. And Bono's like, well, I would, but it probably wouldn't be good for publicity. And, and he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But 
I was like, yeah, it's Bono. Like, you know, it's amazing. But anyway, uh, it, was, it was an incredible experience to see the church coming together. And that has helped, helped inform me at City Chapel. That's the kind of church I want to be. I want to be the kind of church that, that is actually ministering to people's needs, that's actually helping people, feeding uh, hungry people, uh, clothing naked people, doing the stuff, you know, Jesus talked about doing, doing the stuff the government and, 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 and uh, politicians promise. Not promising, just, just, just doing it. Just doing it because we're called to do it. And, and it was in the context of that that we invited a bunch of pastors to come up uh, for a thing called Fresh Bread where they all sat around the table. There were six pastors and their wives, 12 of them, sat around a big table with, with uh, Tommy and his wife and then Tommy's dad and Tommy's um, mom, uh, Papa and Mima. Uh, and uh, Papa passed away just a couple weeks ago. He's an awesome man of God, so wise. I love listening to Papa. And... Um, uh, we were sitting there in one of those meetings and one of the pastors from New Orleans was talking and he said, you know, my wife is discouraged. We're discouraged. We've lost our home. We've lost, we've lost everything. And we lost our church. We, our church building is underwater. We don't know where all of our people are. Half of them are in Atlanta. The other half are in Houston. And we don't, we can't connect with it. Like, like we're feeling like failures. Like maybe we shouldn't have, maybe we heard wrong from God. Maybe we shouldn't have been in New Orleans Maybe when we moved down here and started this church. I mean, because you, you do, if you're in the dungeon for long enough, you start to think about that. Well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe Jesus, maybe he's not the Messiah because wouldn't the Messiah be helping out? Wouldn't Elisha run into the rescue of Elijah? Isn't that the way that that's supposed to work? You start, you start to question stuff, stuff you thought you knew six months ago. You maybe don't know, you're not so sure about. And so he's talking to Papa, and he's like, man, I got this stuff, and, and I, I just don't know what to think about all that. And Papa said, well, have you ever heard of the ninth beatitude? And that's what got my attention, because I know about the beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are you when you're persecuted, when Jesus talks about that. But here, five, uh, six chapters later, Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended at me. And when he said that, man, the Holy Spirit just hit me because I hadn't lost everything. I didn't live in New Orleans, but I did know what it was like to slowly start working for God. Like I was his employee. Like he made me do this and I don't like it very much, but darn it, I'm going to do it because I mean, what, do I want to go to hell? What other option do I have? I'm going to do it. And, 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 and this is the danger of living with disappointment. This is the danger of allowing uh, disappointment to creep into your heart and then you just keep on trudging on anyway. Because I'm good at uh, being a soldier and just shoving it down. I'm going to get this thing. To... But the problem with that is it, it, disappointment doesn't stay just in one little spot. It starts growing. It starts seriously impacting the rest of your life. Just because you're managing it well, and this is true with every negative thing in your life, just because you can manage it well does not mean it is not affecting you. Just because you learn how to put a good face on and shove it down for a it doesn't mean it's not affecting you. And that, 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 that's, that's true with every negative thing. I mean, that's, that's, that's true with, with, your, with your relationship patterns. Just because you figured out how to manage it well doesn't mean it's not affecting you. Your spending problem, just because you've managed it well doesn't mean it's not affecting you. Your obesity, just because you've managed it well doesn't mean it's not affecting you. Doesn't mean it's not affecting your health. It doesn't mean that it's not, I mean, you, you just, this, we, we get so good at, at coping with stuff that we ought to just let go of. We get so good 
at, at, at having these, these pet snakes that are venomous. And we've learned how to not get bitten by them too often, but it's like, why are they in your house? Sometimes learning how to manage the dysfunction is more dysfunctional than, than confronting the dysfunction. And what God did for me when Papa said that, God just, just hit me right in the chest and said, this is why you haven't heard from me in six months. This is why you don't have any joy. This is why you're, you feel like you're burned out. This is why you're running on fumes because you are disappointed in me. And you cannot trust somebody that you're disappointed in. You cannot walk with God if you have been offended by him. I mean, you can do all the religious stuff. You can make it look right. You can serve him because he's your boss and you have to and you don't have any other choice, but your heart seeps right out of it. And it stops you from hearing from God. It stops you from feeling what you used to feel. It stops you from going back to that first love that you had at the beginning because now he's just a boss and you're not really sure that you like him that well anyway. And really, if there was another employer around that was offering better benefits, you'd probably go that direction. And, he's, and, it, and it hurts his heart. It hurt, Jesus said, look, I want you to tell John, tell him everything that's wonderful that's going on, but please tell him, blessed is the one who is not offended at me. Blessed is the one who will let me do what I want to do and won't judge me, won't critique the way that I have chosen to run my universe. <laughs> and, and it's sneaky, it's sneaky how that, how that little disappointment just wiggles its way in there and sticks. And we learn to manage it. And the disappointment grows from disappointment to discouragement and then to doubt. And then we start questioning the very things that we used to tell other people were true. And now we are having to try to tell ourselves that these things are true. So you got to deal with your disappointment. You got to be real about it. You got to deal with it. You're looking for a positive, uplifting word this morning? That's it. Deal with it. Jonathan, deal with it. Uh, deal with it deal with it. Deal with what's in your life. Deal with the disappointment. Be honest about it. God's, God, God knows what's in there. It's not a problem to him. He sees it and he sees how dangerous, how dangerous disappointment is. You think that it's not that dangerous. We think, I thought it wasn't that. I thought, man, this is fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm just going to weather this thing out. The problem is when, when, when you're living in a dungeon of disappointment, when you hear the things that Jesus is doing, you don't celebrate it. You say, well, what about, what about me? How come, how come he's not coming for, for me? What, saving all those other people, doing all the other, like, what about, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the dungeon that stole his faith. It was the disappointment And, and, and he hadn't dealt with it. And Jesus, once again, cuts right to the heart. He said, look, there's a blessing reserved for somebody who can walk with me without becoming offended at me. Somebody who can just let go of their offense. Somebody who can just let me be me. Which is, by the way, a very odd thing. God is a very odd thing. Any, anyone who's walked with him for very long will recognize that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not, not our thoughts. And that's not a nice poetic statement. It's just the truth. 
I was listening to a, a business uh, person the other day, and they were they were talking about um, how how uh, you have to have your plans in sand if you want to succeed in business. You got to put your plans in sand, but you have to put your your goals in cement. So your plans are in sand. You write them. You you, you need plans, but they ought to be written in sand because you might need to you know erase them, move them, change them, adapt them. Etch a sketch, if you will. You might need to shake it up and change it. So the plans are in sand, but the goals are in cement. In other words, where you're going, why you exist, the purpose, like that has to be solid in cement. That's cement. Now, how you get there, that's, that's up for debate. But your, your goals have to be in cement. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how one of the reasons I think why we get so disappointed in God, and I think why John was disappointed in God, is because his cement was different. His, his, his goal was different. I know for me, when I heard Papa talking about that, and I began just right then and there, just repenting, crying out to God, saying, God, I'm so sorry that I have allowed this bitterness, really, to grow in my heart toward you. And I said, God, why am I doing that? And that's when God showed me that my cement was different than his cement. That, that I had this, this goal in mind, this, this object, and honestly, my cement was to live a fulfilled life, to serve people, to help people, to preach the gospel, um, to marry a really hot girl, um, have kids that didn't embarrass me in a restaurant. Uh, you know, I mean, it's good stuff. I, I had this, this goal, and the problem is Jesus wasn't getting me any closer to that goal. He was, in fact, we were, we, we were drifting away from that. Right? I am a personal assistant now, a glorified servant, you know. This is just, this isn't helping me get toward my goal. And, and, and what God showed me is that, that my goal was nice and it was good. And it was, I mean, in terms of everybody else's goals, it was actually a lot better than a lot of people. But it still wasn't his goal for my life. His goal for my life and for your life is that we would bring him glory. And the, the, the problem arises when, whenever his glory is in cement in his mind and our comfort or our purpose or our fulfillment is in cement in our mind. And then he starts bringing us toward a place of his glory and away from a place of our comfort and purpose and fulfillment. And we say, hold on a second, you're going in the wrong direction. You're going in the wrong way. And this is why I'm upset at God because he's wasting my time. And I don't have a lot of it. He does. That's all good for him. <laughs> He's in eternity. He got all day. But I, I, I got like 70 years before this thing goes out. And he's wasting my time. He's running me around this, this mountain. He's looping me back behind that valley. He doesn't seem to have at any, at any point any regard for my situation in life. Right? And, and some of us are saying, yeah, yeah, I'm 30 and I'm still single. God doesn't seem to care about that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 and I'm still at this job and God doesn't seem to care about that. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm at this place and, and my goal, I'm not any closer to my cement. And it seems like God is actually fighting against my cement. Like he's pulling me in some random weird direction. And so to acknowledge the fact that God's cement is different than my cement, to acknowledge that his glory is his purpose and my whatever fill in the blank is mine is the first step to really understanding why there's so much conflict between you and God. Because actually sometimes God thinks that he gets more glory out of us being in a dungeon 
than us baptizing people. Sometimes God gets more glory out of us losing our head than us preaching. <laughs> and it's not to say that the preaching was bad. I think John was probably a pretty good preacher. But it is to say that the preaching was done. And God had another step for John to take. And this is, this is where I think if we are going to learn how to forgive God, if we're going to learn how to walk with God and how to hear from God, we're going to have to learn how to, how to savor the things that God savors, to love the things of the Spirit. Because basically when Jesus responds to John, most of his response is exactly what John had heard. Dead people are getting up. Poor people are getting the gospel. Lame people are able to walk. Blind people can see. It's all the stuff found in Matthew 10, 9, and 8. I mean, it's just like, well, yeah. So John, Jesus just reintroduces the stuff. Because that's what Jesus is really excited about. Jesus is pumped about all the stuff that's happening for other people. And Jesus says, John, look, here's the deal. I want you to be excited about all the stuff that's happening for other people. How can you do that? Well, you have to start valuing the things of the Spirit because the Spirit, the Spirit sees the cement of the glory of God and He's passionately pursuing that in your life. And He's so excited when you get closer to it. He's so excited. No matter what you lose or no matter what you leave behind, or no matter what freedom you lose, or what pit, or what, what pit you find yourself in, if, 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 if your spirit is getting closer to him, he's thrilled, he's pumped, he's like, man, this is exciting. In fact, Jesus was telling Peter, uh, before he was about to be crucified, Jesus left an example that we should follow in his steps, and before he was crucified, Jesus told Peter, he said, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to rise again on the third day, and Peter says, oh no, 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 this is not good. You do not need to get killed. You do not need to be betrayed. Far be it from you, Lord. And Jesus, in his sweet, tender, gentle, loving way, said, get behind me, devil. You are Satan incarnate. You are not mindful, he said, of the things of God. You are mindful of the things of man. Now, we translate that word mindful, but I kind of like the way that the King James says it. It says, thou savorest not the things of God. And that's closer to the real word, savor. Thou savorest not. So like when I get my three shots of espresso in the morning, um, I savor it. Get a little bit of half and half. It's all kind of watered down now, but yeah. But man, at, uh, at 6.30 this morning, this was awesome. And some ice three shots, you smell it, you uh, add a little half and half, you drink it, it's just strong flavor, savor it, the burn, yeah, it's a little, little bit bitter, burnt, yeah, burnt, Starbucks, it's not the, yeah, it's not the, the best stuff around, but uh, $2.50, um, yeah, uh, you, you savor it. Yeah, yeah, when I'm at radio, then I, then, then I really savor it, and I mourn my, my, my wallet, but $5 uh, to savor. But you, you, it's like, it's something, when you savor something, you value it. It's, it smells so good to you. You're like, this smells 
amazing this tastes, amazing, this is awesome. So much so that oftentimes, you know, the value is found in the joy of receiving it. And so you do, you pay the $5 if you're at radio and you pay the $2.50 if you're at Star because you, it's worth it because it, it's so good. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. He said, look, if you, if you were savoring the scent of what the Spirit is doing right now, you would be so pumped. Like, like, I just told you the Lamb of God is about to be slaughtered for the sins of the entire world, and then I'm going to rise again in power. I mean, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies are coming to this moment right here. In fact, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is about to be glorified. He could have used the word crucified, but he was talking according to the Spirit. He was about to be lifted up, and he said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Like, Peter, do you understand how awesome this is? But no, Peter didn't understand because he wasn't, he didn't love the things of the Spirit. He loved the things of the flesh, and the flesh is always offended at the Spirit. The flesh is always offended at the agenda of the Spirit and the plans of the Spirit and the goals of the Spirit and the love of the Spirit. He's always offended by that. And that's why Jesus tells John, don't be offended. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me, but the one who hears according to the Spirit and loves and values the Spirit, who even in the prison can still say, man, I feel like God's doing something in my spirit. I feel like he's getting rid of some of the flesh that I couldn't get rid of any other way. I feel like God's developing my character and moving me and leaving me as an example to many who would be martyred for Christ years and years later. In fact, in a similar prison, 50 years after this point, there were two guys by the name of Paul and Silas. They were in prison for doing good. Not for, you know, doing bad stuff. They were in prison for doing good. And at midnight, they sat around and said, man, I can't believe we're in this prison. Can you believe that we got here? What is God doing letting us go here? Oh, no, wait, that's the message perversion. Um, the, 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 the King James, the New King James says that, that at 12 o'clock at midnight, they began worshiping. They began praising, singing hymns and songs to God in the prison. And you say, oh, that's, well, those guys are super spiritual. No, they're not. They just love what the Spirit is doing. They just love because when you love what the Spirit is doing, no matter what's happening to the, to the flesh and to the outside, you can see the progress of the gospel. You can see how God is moving and touching so many other people and blessing so many people. And it's no longer a what about me song. It's now a what about God song. It's this place. See, and it, it, I was reading that this week where it says, it says that they were singing and it says all of the other inmates heard them. And that just stuck out to me. The fact that the, uh, the other inmates were listening to Paul and Silas sing. Sometimes I think God places us in, in, in prisons and in pits and in difficult places because there's a song inside of us that's not going to come out any other way. And also there's a song inside of us that needs to be heard by those other people who are in those dark places. He, he, he wanted a concert for, he wanted a worship, he wanted, he wanted a Bethel worship experience for the prison. And so he put two of his lead singers in there. And, and because they were sensitive to what the Spirit was doing, because they were excited about the Spirit, they said, man, God is so good. God is so worthy. God is so great. I'm in the prison. Yeah, this isn't comfortable. I'm not comfortable, but God is good. God is good even if he's not good to my flesh. God has been so good to my spirit. God has been so faithful 
to my spirit. Because this is ultimately what the atheist is looking for. This is what the agnostic is looking for. He says, my flesh has not been benefited by God, therefore God is not good. And you can have a Christian dogma and an atheistic mindset that says, I'm checking to see how benefited my flesh has been, how benefited my bank account has been, how benefited my life has been by God before I determine whether or not he is good. And yet, and yet Jesus sees a completely different cement. There's a different goal for him. There's a different end game. The end game is the glory of God through our lives. And so he asks us to walk through difficulty. He, he even, like, you, like you, you have to really, like you have to, you have to think about John's perspective. God put him in the prison. I mean, yeah, Herod threw him in there, but, but it was God. Make no mistake about it. God is the most culpable being in the universe because if God wanted to change anything about anything at any given point, he could. Just flick of his finger, a word of his mouth, and everything changes. And so at the end of the day, any offense you actually have toward people, you technically have toward God because those people wouldn't have been able to do what they did to you if God didn't allow them and actually sustain them and actually give them breath. Technically, their heart is beating because God is commanding it to beat. That's why all offense toward people is so offensive to God, because it's really an offense that you, it's an accusation against heaven. And so you have to understand that, that John is in the prison because God wants him in the prison. And the question is, can you serve a God who, who at times may want you in a prison? Because that's not the kind of God we typically sing about and, and talk about because it's not that inspirational it doesn't stir you up to say oh yeah I'm gonna give my everything to that guy but this is the God that you're going to encounter if you walk with him for very long at all you're going to be you're going to find yourself in this place and it was God who stuck me with Tommy it was it was God who put me on that plane it was God who arranged all of that and at the end of the day, you, when, when, when you realize that, wow, God organized and orchestrated me to go to Bible college for five years so that I could run around and carry this guy's Bible and luggage and suitcase and blah, blah, blah for all day. When, when God thinks this is a good idea and it's not benefiting me at all, that's when you really decide, do I really love God as he is? Or do I like him as I met him? Because the more I get to know him, the more I realize that he's really about himself. He really wants his glory to be revealed. He wants his nature to be revealed. And the question is, am I on board with that? Because if, if you're not on board with that, you will not be able to hear from God because everything that he says to you will come through the filter of whether or not you think he's good in the current moment, which will go up and down based on how well your life is going. You'll also miss the voice of God in your life because you'll see, you'll see um, you know, job opportunities where you make more money as the voice of God. Oh yeah, God, God told me to take this job. I don't know why I'm miserable. Really, when did God tell you? Well, you know, he just came along and it was more money and, and then God talked to you. No, I just, it was more money. And, right, because God really cares about you having more money, right? Absolutely. What are you talking about? Isn't that how this works? You know, or, 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 or you'll date that guy because, well, God didn't take him out of my life. Like God's not the mafia. He doesn't take people out. Like this isn't how it works. He doesn't, you just, it's not, 
That's not how it works. You don't just pray, God, if I'm doing something wrong, just stop me. You know, no, this is not how he speaks. You will run into poles and fall off cliffs and and, 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 and date crazy people and, and lose all kinds of, like you will find yourself in your own prison because you never learn to value the things that the Spirit values. The Spirit values your soul. He values your heart. He values, he values what, is on the, what, is, what, what benefits the Spirit, what glorifies God. And so you might actually turn down jobs that make more money, but pull you away from the things that glorify God in your life. And it won't seem like a loss to you. You'll savor it. You'll be like, man, I love this opportunity to partake of the goodness of God. And I, I yeah, I, I can't buy a new car, but that's all right. That's the thing, like, God's perspective is so much different than ours. If, if, if your life is, is the length of this, is represented by the length of this wall right here, if your existence, I should say, is represented by the length of this wall, your 70 years on this earth would be like a quarter of an inch. And it's crazy to me how we are so obsessed with that quarter of an inch. And yet God lives from this perspective. He sees the whole thing. He says, I'm telling you, what is painful for you in that quarter of an inch is worth it for the rest of the 49 and a half feet of this wall. What is, what, is har, what is harming you in, within that quarter of an inch? And that's if, it's, that's if it's harming you for the whole 70 years, maybe for 30 years. What's difficult for you for half of that quarter, for an eighth of an inch, I guess, 16th maybe, I don't know, not good at math, for a really teeny minuscule part of your life is proving to be such a blessing. Like I said, in heaven right now is a man on a throne who was baptized by a man who lost his head for the gospel. And for eternity, John is celebrated. For an eternity, John is recognized. And 2,000 years later, we're in a gym talking about a guy who had, who had the value system to savor what God was doing in his moment. Who, yeah, had the humanity to become offended at God, as I think we all have but had the humility to recognize that offense and submit to God and say, yeah, you can do whatever you want. You can, you can leave me here if you like. You can visit, get me out if you like. But as long as the kingdom of God is moving forward, as long as God is blessing other people, as, as long as people are, the poor is hearing the gospel preached to them, then I'm going to rejoice with you about that. I rejoice with you about what you're doing. And so, Father, I pray that you would just do that in each of our hearts. Stir up a love for the things of the Spirit. Stir up an appetite for that. So many, I mean, everything else in our life, actually, is, is screaming at us about the importance of the flesh and the importance of, of financial security and the importance of relationships and the, the importance of timing and and, and the importance of family and the, the importance of all of these things that we so quickly put ahead of you. But Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you're doing in the earth and in our own lives, God. We, we want to hear from you, and so we, we choose to set aside our value system. Lord, give us a new mold. Give us a new cement. Give us a new goal to shoot for, a new aim, a new, an, 
a new way to evaluate a value system that says this is worth so much and that is worth so much to find in you our joy